Thanks, Zach and Molly. Um, sit back, relax, unwind. Uh, if you missed it or you snuck in late, my name's Chris. I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond. And uh, to, to get you thinking, this is, I've got a question for you. It's not one that you have to answer out loud. You can just think about it to yourself. Um, what's your deal breaker? Or what are your, what are your deal, uh, what's your deal breaker? Yeah, that's the way it's worded up there. I'm, I'm fascinated by this question, okay? I'm absolutely fascinated by this question. I ask this question um, of a lot of my friends all the time. If, if you're one of my friends and you're not a Christian, chances are you would have had me ask this to you in some form or another, like, what's your deal breaker? Uh, and the reason I ask this question all the time is because I genuinely want to know, like, what is it that people resist about Christianity? And, and not, not just what they resist, but, but why they resist things about Christianity. Okay, I'm one of these weird people that I just have to know why something works. Like, why does it work that way? Like, last year, to give you an example, um, I got really obsessed with sleep. Like, what you do at night or during the day. And I wanted to understand, like, how do you get the best amount of sleep that's possible? Like, surely there's a way to maximize sleep. So I went out, I read, like, three books, like, full-on books. That, yeah, there are books written about sleep. Um, I listened to every podcast I could get. I started tracking the amount of hours I was sleeping every night. I started paying attention to like what I was doing before I went to sleep, after I went to sleep. I even bought a special kind of alarm clock that wakes you up with a sunrise kind of light because I wanted to just understand, you know, why is it that sleep works the way it does and how can you get the most out of your sleep? It wasn't just enough for me to go, oh, well, that's something we do every night, isn't it? And it's the same thing and I'm way more, I'm way more interested and I'm way more intrigued why people ask this question like, or why people resist Christianity than I ever could be about sleep. And it's a question that I just, I, I, I want to know the answer, and it's, it's not just my friends I ask. Um, in fact, if you were to come over to my house and you were to look in my library, uh, you would find pretty much every book that's written by um, some of the biggest atheists that we have in this world, like Richard Dawkins, the late Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, Bart Ehrman, all these people, Lawrence Krauss, who, who are really against Christianity. Because the reason I want to know, I just want to know why. Like, what, what is it? Because how, how they're so much smarter than me, and they're so much brighter than me, and I want to know, why is it that we come to different conclusions? And the truth is, you know, whether, whether you're kind of a Christian or a not, or whether you resist Christianity, or whether you love Christianity, something that's true of all of us is that, you know, we all have deal breakers. Not just when it comes to faith, right, but just in all, all aspects of our life. We all have deal breakers. We have deal breakers when it comes to relationships, when it comes to work, when it comes to what school to send our kids to, where it comes to, hey, where are we going to go on a holiday? And a deal breaker, just so we're all on the same page, is just simply this, a barrier that one cannot overlook. It's something that you just can't move past. You say, hey, if this thing exists, I can't go any further. Now, maybe relationally for you, if, if it's in a marriage, maybe your deal breaker was to say, hey, if, if someone cheated on me, I can't overlook that. Maybe for work, it, it would have something to do, hey, if someone treated me a certain way, if someone said something to me, I couldn't, I couldn't overlook that. Maybe it's, it's different for you at work. Maybe at the point in your life that you're at, you really need a certain level of income to be able to send your kids to the school that you want to send them to. And so for you, the barrier that you cannot overlook when it comes to work is, what are they paying me? Now we, you know, as, as parents, you, know, you, you have this when it comes to choosing schools or kindergartens or creches for your kids. And, and even babysitters for that matter. You know, what is that one thing? Maybe it's got to do with an after-school program. You know, they have sports. Are they into music? Maybe uh, it's something to do uh, with some of the, the academic programs that they offer. You know, they offer robotics. or they offer debating? What kind of extracurricular activities are there? 
Maybe for you, it's more around like the learning needs of your, uh, of your son or your daughter. You know? Are they going to be able to cater for the learning needs that, that uh, my child has? And we, we all have these things. Maybe for some of you, uh, you have teenage uh, children and you wish that their deal breakers were a little bit more kind of stringent when it comes to dating. Because you ask your son or your daughter, why do you like him? She just smells great. <laughs> you know, or, or the girl's like, oh my goodness, he's just got big muscles and he's, he's sporty and he just looks at me and he does that thing with his hair and oh my goodness. And you kind of look there and you're like, oh, you will overlook that soon. Okay, you need to overlook that, right? And the truth is, you know, we all have deal breakers. And so I want to ask you this question. What's your Christianity deal breaker? And this is not just, this is not just for those of you um, who wouldn't consider yourself followers of Jesus. This is for those of you who would consider yourself Christians as well. What's, what's that thing that maybe niggles at the back of your mind? Or that one thing that you were like, you know what, if, if I found out this to be true, if someone disproved this or someone proved that or someone showed me or demonstrated this to me, that would break the deal. That would be something that I could not overlook. In 2017, there's a, there's a, a research organization in Australia called McCrindle Research. It's headed up by this guy, um, Mark McCrindle. And uh, they do all sorts of, of different research. They do things into um, uh, uh, incomes. And they do things in a demographic analysis. But, but someone went to them, uh, a number of Christian organizations, and they said, hey, what we want you to do is we want you to commission you to do this big study across all of Australia. The study was called Faith and Belief. And we want you to find out the answer to this question. We want you to ask Christians, we want you to ask atheists, we want you to ask everyone, and we want you to ask them, what's your Christianity deal breaker? And uh, McCrindle, at the end of 2017, released this 52-page report that kind of summarized all of their findings. Now, I know that most of you have a life, unlike me, and so you don't want to read 52 pages, and that's okay, because I've got you covered. I want to show you what McCrindle Research discovered were the major deal breakers, what people said, hey, when it comes to Christianity, I cannot and I will not overlook this. And these are the deal, oh, whoa, sorry, no, this is the purpose of the study. I should show you that first, hey, this is important. They said the purpose was to, um, was to investigate faith and belief blockers among Australians to understand perceptions, opinions, and attitudes towards Jesus, the church, and Christianity. And this is what they discovered with the deal breakers. Here we go. Homosexuality. 33% of people said, that's a deal breaker for me. Hell and condemnation. 24% said, that's a, that's a deal breaker for me. 24% said suffering. 23% said supernatural events. 21% said the role of women. 20% said the Bible. And 18% said science and evolution. Now, I'm fascinated by this kind of question, right? I love, I'm, I annoyingly ask all my friends, remember? And so when I read this, I, that made complete sense because this is what people tell me all the time when I talk to them. They say, hey, no, these, are, these are all my deal breakers. Like, I knew that. What, what I was really surprised by, what kind of took me back a little bit, wasn't so much what was on this list. This is what I expected. It was what wasn't on this list because in my mind anyway, and if you're not a Christian here tonight, I want to, or today rather, I want to let you in on something. In my mind, I think there's only one reason that you should resist Christianity. I think there's only one reason that you should have a deal breaker towards Christianity. And I'm going to give it to you and we're going to talk about it this entire series. So that if you want to have a deal breaker, you'll have a really, really good one. Because I don't think these are reasons. And the thing that's not on this list is this. Jesus. 
See, I'm fascinated by the fact that, that if you understand and if you really know what Christianity is all about, at the center of Christianity is not a view on a sexual orientation, is not a position on a book, is not a belief about the scientific nature of the world. At the, se- at the epicenter of Christianity is a person, an individual named Jesus. And so for me, if you want to have anything as a deal breaker when it comes to Christianity, the only deal breaker you should have is Jesus. And I understand that maybe some of you are sitting here and you're like, hang on a minute, like, like I, didn't, I didn't realize that Je- like, I like Jesus, like he's an okay kind of guy. It's all this other stuff I disagree with. And, and if that's kind of become the thing that's front and center for you, the reason that you resist, I just want to apologize. Because chances are the reason that those issues are front and center is because of Christians. Because, and this is not Christian, if you're a Christian in this room, this is not your fault. But chances are you, like me, if you grew up in church, and you grew up and, and uh, you went to Sunday school, and you did all the church camps, and you did all that stuff, we grew up with this idea and this mentality and this approach that if the Bible says it, that settles it. If the Bible says it, that settles it. Why should I, didn't, why should I not steal? Oh, the Bible says it, end of story. Why, why should I be nice to my brother or my sister? The Bible says, okay, well, I, better, I better do that. Why should I not have sex outside of marriage? Oh, the Bible says it. Why shouldn't I get drunk? The Bible says it. And it was always this approach that if the Bible says it, that settles it. And we kind of go through life and we kind of believe, hey, you know, if the Bible says it, that, that's the end of the conversation. But at the center of our faith is not a book. At the center of Christianity is not, again, is not a sexual orientation. At the center of our faith is a person called Jesus. And in fact, one of the, the dude, his name was Peter. He actually went on to, uh, to head up the Jesus movement after Jesus returned to heaven. This is what Peter says about how we should begin to explain our faith. He actually takes a different approach. He takes a completely different approach to the Bible. Says that He actually says this. He says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Notice what he doesn't say. He, says, he doesn't say, if someone asks you about your belief in a book, if someone asks you about your view on a political issue, a view on a social issue, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to be able to explain the hope that you have as a believer. And that has nothing to do with justifying a book or a social status or a political position. It has to do with explaining the reason why you have a hope. And I kind of thought to myself, like, how, what's the best way I could explain this hope that Peter's talking about in like 10 minutes or less? How could I, how could I kind of help you to see the hope that he's referring to, and, and just what he means by this idea of hope. And I thought, that's a ridiculous task. I can't possibly do that in 10 minutes. But what I kind of thought would be fun would, would almost be to imagine, what would it be like if Peter had to sit down alongside some of the most, most well-known atheists of our era? What would it be like if the people who began the Jesus movement and carried the Jesus movement on, what would they say? And how would they defend their hope as a believer? And so I kind of had this idea in my mind, the debate of the centuries. And you're going to have to go with me on this a little bit, right? Because I kind of see like in one corner over here, what the debate of the centuries would look like. In one corner, we would have Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. And if you don't know who those two are, Richard Dawkins, he's an evolutionary biologist. He speaks all over the world. He got his PhD from Oxford. He's a lecturer there. 
Um, and, and Richard Dawkins is very, very much against the idea of religion and Christianity. And with Richard Dawkins is this guy called Sam Harris. Sam, Sam is a, an incredible blogger. He's a podcaster. He's got his PhD in neuroscience as well. Um, and he's an American, a kind of, uh, American and he kind of travels the world talking out against Christianity. And then on the other side of the debate, on the Jesus side of the debate, I, we would have Peter, because Peter's got to be able to explain his hope. Peter, he's an uneducated dude. Um, he followed Jesus around for about three years. But then he was the guy who carried on the Jesus movement after Jesus left this world. So he's such an interesting dude. And then with Peter, I want to I want to uh, sh- uh, introduce you to a guy called Paul. Because Paul is this dude who has the equivalent of two modern PhDs, and he was a really, really zealous religious leader in the Jewish faith who did an about-face and became a Christian. And it's a fascinating story. And what, uh, way, the way I imagine this debate is going is that Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, they would argue for a 14-billion-year-old universe. They would argue persuasively that the world we live in is, only, is 4 billion years old. Then they'd go to the Old Testament and they'd say, hey, you know, how do you explain this genocidal God? How do you explain this God who wants to eradicate the world with a flood? They'd say things like, we have no archaeological evidence for an exodus out of Egypt. We have no archaeological evidence for a worldwide flood. And then they'd start to point to the atrocities that religion has caused throughout the world. They'd say, hey, look at, look at what happened you know, with the Roman Catholic Church and all the abuses that have happened. And then I kind of imagine them summing up their arguments. And <clears throat> I kind of wanted to really get into the mood. And so I, I imagined, you know, I'd bring Richard and Sam into the equation. They would wear suit jackets because they're intelligent. They wouldn't wear snapbacks like me. And I didn't think you'd believe me if I pretended to be someone who had like three PhDs between them wearing a snapback. So I imagine that as Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris get up to bring their argument to a conclusion, that this is how they would conclude, that Richard would stand up and he would say to us, Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to finish by bringing to your attention that the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most uh, unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it. If you're a Christian, what I'm about to say next might offend you, but don't worry, it's true. He is a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilent, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Sam, what do you reckon? I agree. I think it's time that we admitted that faith is nothing more than the license that religious people give to each other, that give one another to keep believing when reason fails. And then Richard would jump back up. He says, you know, to be fair though, to you Christians, right, to those of you who are Christians, most of the Bible is not systematically evil. It's just weird. But, come on, that's exactly what you would expect of a chaotically cobbled together an anthology of disjointed documents composed, revised, translated, distorted, and improved by hundreds of anonymous authors, editors, and copyists unknown to us and mostly unknown to each other spanning nine centuries. The fact that my continuous and public rejection of Christianity does not worry me in the least should suggest to you just how inadequate I think your reasons for being a Christian are. Ah. And then I'd kind of get up to MC the night and I'd throw it over to Peter and to Paul. And I imagine that, that Peter would get up first and that Peter would rise from his seat and kind of maybe nervously take the middle of the floor and he'd say something like this. Sam and Richard, like, I agree. 
I can't really disprove what you've been talking about with the age of the universe. I'm, I'm actually not that smart. Maybe Paul has, has something to say about that. But here's what I do want to say, because Sam and Richard, you guys kept talking about these reasons, these reasons why I shouldn't believe in Christianity. You mentioned, what was that God, that you, the God of the, the, the Old Testament? I've never heard of that. I know the stories of my people. I know the stories of the Jewish people. And sure, maybe I believe them because of the culture that I was brought up in. But that's not the reason why I'm a Jesus follower. No, there's only one reason. There's only one reason why I'm a Jesus follower. It's because right before Jesus died, I ran away. And I, and I ran away and I, and I hid. And Jesus was crucified on a cross. And I saw the life ebb away from his body as he took his final breath. And then three days later, we were hanging out. And some of the women came to us and they were like, hey, guys, the tomb is empty. And, and I didn't believe he'd risen from the dead. Like, I know that dead men don't rise. I saw him die with my own... I didn't, ex- I didn't think that. I thought someone had moved the body. But I was intrigued enough. I was, I was intrigued enough that I started to walk towards the tomb. And, and, and soon my walking began to run and I, I caught myself running and John and I got there at the same time and we looked inside and the tomb was empty. And I still didn't know what to think about it. Because to be honest, the minute that Jesus died, I unfollowed him. I kind of thought that I'd given up the past three years of my life following around a confused rabbi who had no clue and and the Jesus movement was dead and I wasn't about to reignite it because I had a bounty on my head and I didn't want to put that kind of scrutiny on me and then fast forward a little bit and we were having dinner in a safe house that we'd got just on the outskirts of town and well that's when it happened that's when he appeared and, and I can't tell you how we got there because the door was locked. But all I know is that I saw him die. And then I saw him standing right in front of me. And Sam and Richard, you can say that's just plain weird, but that's the only reason why I gave my life to this. Because if he wasn't standing in front of me, I would have stayed afraid. I would have stayed hidden and I would have never chosen to re-follow him again. And then I, then I kind of imagined that Paul would get up. That Paul would get up and he would finish the argument. He'd bring it to a conclusion. I imagine Paul would, would say something like this. Sam, I know that you're not a fan of, of Christians, and I, and I get that. You talk about the dangers of religion, and trust me, I know full well the dangers of religion because I weaponized Judaism. Unlike you, Sam, I wasn't content just to write books and speak publicly about the dangers of Christianity. No, I I went to actually eradicate them. I murdered them. I got warrants for their arrest, and I was hell-bent on bringing Christianity to its knees, although we didn't call it Christianity back then. We just called it the way. And Richard, this is where things get kind of a little weird, right? And I can't explain it, but, but both of you know this story, and you know where I'm going, right? Because I was on my way to this city called Damascus, and I had a warrant, and I was ready to kill some more Christians. I was ready to throw them in jail. And then something happened and I went blind. And it was when I went blind that I, I actually began to see. And I, Richard, I can see you rolling your eyes at me, but, but here's something that, that you guys don't understand is that, that in that moment when I was blind, I, I heard this voice and it said, Paul, why are you doing this to me? 
And at that moment, I, I kind of had an idea of who it might be, but I kind of asked, you know, who are you? And that voice said to me, I'm Jesus. And in that moment, I did an about face. A 180 de degree flip, and for the rest of my life, I committed it to growing the church. And now, Richard, I know that sounds weird, and I know that probably only plays into the narrative that you have that Christianity is weird, but, but here's something that's not weird, and, and I know from listening to you guys talk tonight that no one in your generation discounts me. No, one, no historian in your generation says that I didn't go out and I didn't make a huge impact in the world for Jesus. And so the question I have for you, Sam and Richard, is how do you explain me? How do you explain me, this religious zealot who wanted to stamp out Christianity, who suddenly becomes the biggest advocate for Christianity the world has ever seen? Because you can, you can disprove, you can push back against evolution. I don't really care what you think about that. And you can discredit the Bible. I don't really care what you think about that. But the, the truth is, the, really the only thing that matters is what Peter spoke about, what Matthew recorded, what Luke recorded, that Jesus lived, that he died, and then three days later, he rose again. And the reason why this is such a big deal for, for Peter and I, guys, is because we believe that Christianity begins with Jesus, not Genesis. We believe that, that the center of Christianity is this guy and this person called Jesus. And the foundation of our faith is not built on our understanding of a book or our understanding of a political worldview or a scientific understanding. The foundation of our faith is that a guy rose from the dead, and his name was Jesus, not Genesis. That's kind of what I have in my mind of how that debate would kind of go anyway, right? And I imagine that at the end of that debate that chances are that, that I would naturally want to go up and kind of have a chat to Peter, and I'd want to have a chat to Paul. And I'd want to say, hey, come on, guys, like, what's this thing you're talking about? Like, Jesus is the center, not Genesis? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Doesn't one thing disprove the whole thing? And, and I imagine that what they would say to us or to you is similar to what I'm going to challenge you to do this week. And I'm going to challenge you in the form of this thing that we call a Four Monday. It's, um, we have this Four Monday here, um, which is really the application of everything we've been talking about today. And so the application that, that I want to give you this week that I think Peter and Paul would give you is just simply this. PPDB, if you need to remember it. PPDB. I want you to press pause on your deal breakers. Just for this week. I don't, I don't want you to abandon them. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to forget about them. I just want you to press pause on them for seven days. That's all I want you to do. Because as we continue throughout this series, I'd love to invite you back next week. And I know that for some of you, that's a massive ask to come back and continue to talk about this because you've, you've grown up for so long where this issue out to the side has been brought front and center. And I want to try and push that away and I want to bring this, this thing that Peter and Paul talked about, Jesus front and center again. So just for the next seven days, I just want you to press pause on your deal breakers. And the reason why is simple. Because if you resist Christianity, and I'm totally okay with you resisting it, I, I understand. I just want you to resist for the right reasons. I want you to walk away and I want you to push back for the right reasons. 
And so just simply this week, press pause on your deal breakers. And I know some of you are going to be like, oh, Chris, what do you mean press pause? Like this whole thing with Peter and Paul, with Sam and Richard, like now I've got more questions. Now I want to know more about like, hang on a minute, like Richard was talking about the Bible and the genocidal stuff and the, all the idle words that I didn't really get, but like he was talking about that and now I got more questions. And Peter and Paul, they seem hung up on this fact that a guy died and then rose again. Like that's kind of whack, isn't it? And it is. I'm going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about it next week. So come back, just press pause on your deal breakers and join us next week as we continue our series, part two of Deal Breakers. Let's pray. Jesus, we all have deal breakers. But when it comes to faith, the only deal breaker should be you. And because of the way we've grown up and maybe some of the things we've been told or or taught to believe, maybe we've made these secondary issues central. And so this week, I just pray that you would help people to just, just press pause, not abandon their deal breakers, not forget about them, not want an answer to them, but I just pray that they just hit the pause button for seven days. And that we'd come back next week to discover, well, you know, if Christianity begins with Jesus, not Genesis, what does that mean? What does that look like? And how could it change their life? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.